Let's start with something funny. Two friends were walking down the street thinking of something to do. One friend turns to the other and says, let's go get something to drink. There's a new place that does the best punch you'll ever drink. So they make their way over to the new establishment, walk straight up to the bartender and say, bartender, two glasses of your best punch, please. The bartender replies in a stern voice, if you want some punch, you're gonna have to get in line like everybody else. The two friends turn around and look, but there's no punchline. Hi, I'm Randall Sims, and this is my podcast. Jesus, the Christ, at the cross of Calvary, purchased eternal life for you and for me. Life more abundant. That life has already begun, so why wait until the afterlife to live that life to the fullest? Welcome to the most impatient Christian podcast in the entire world. This is Christ Life Now. From Luke chapter 15. Now all the tax collectors and sinners, including non-observant Jews, were coming near Jesus to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began muttering and complaining, saying, This man accepts and welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost, searching until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he gets home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who have no need of repentance. You may find this hard to believe because I look so very young. If you've seen my picture, this is going to blow your mind. Here goes. I'm going to tell you, I am 100. No, of course, I'm not talking about my actual age, as one might assume. That is to say, I was that one lost sheep for whom Jesus left the other 99 to go and find. I was out in the wilderness, unprotected, in despair, the all-alone one little lost lamb, but thanks to the searching shepherd who never gave up, here I am. How many of you can say the same thing? According to Jesus' words in this parable, when a shepherd discovers that one of his sheep is lost, there are several things that the shepherd does. Now, most of you, if you've ever been to Sunday school or heard a sermon, you've probably become somewhat aware with the parable of the shepherd and the ninety and nine and the, the one. But how many of you have ever considered there were 90 and 9, but if you've been found, you are 100? There you are, number 100. Let's break it down just a bit and analyze this parable and find out exactly what it is that the shepherd does. Well, first of all, the search begins. It says he leaves the flock and searches for the lost sheep. Remember, it said, does he not leave the 90 and 9 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost, searching until he finds it? Now, it's important to understand that leaving does not necessarily mean forsaking the already found sheep. A deeper understanding of the word that is translated leave in this passage shows us that it can also mean that he urges them to stay or he bids them to remain. There may be a bit of sarcasm, in fact, in the reference to the Pharisees who do not need to repent, Jesus says. Still, they are loved by the shepherd. Now, once the searching is complete, 
Then comes the Eureka. Eureka, I found it. He finds the lost sheep. Keep in mind, you don't find Jesus. Jesus finds you. John 6.44 explains that. No one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father who sent me draws him, giving him the desire to come to me, and I will raise him up from the dead on the last day. So even though sometimes it seems like we're finding the Lord, the Lord, the shepherd, is finding us. He's the one who drew us to him in the first place. This is where repentance comes in. Repentance means to change your mind for the better, to turn away from your wicked ways, from the things that you have done in your past, and to sincerely change with a hate or an abhorrence of your past sins and transgressions. Isn't that what it's like to be found by the shepherd? The sheep doesn't stay there in the wilderness with an attitude of, thanks for finding me, but I'm just going to stay right here, if you please. No. The sheep changes his mind. He probably got into the wilderness and into that situation, in fact, without even realizing that he was headed down that path. Now, once he's found, the sheep realizes that the path he's been taking was not the best path for his life. Remember, in our lives, there's the bad path that leads to destruction. None of us want to be on that path, right? Then there's the good path, which leads to everlasting life rewards, streets of gold, gates of pearl and such. But then there's the best path that God has for our life that not only leads to our eternal reward, but allows us to get there and please God all along the way. Now, if I have to choose, I'm certainly not choosing the bad path. I'm going to choose not only the good path, but the best path that he has for my life. And Inasmuch as a sheep is able and capable of realizing anything, when found, the sheep realizes that the path he had been on has led him to a bad place. He begins to abhor the decisions that led him there, and then he turns and heads in the opposite direction. More specifically, he allows the shepherd to carry him in the opposite direction. After the searching and the finding comes the shoulder ride. It says he puts the sheep, the found sheep, on his shoulders. In the language of the Bible, The word hand signifies power. Did you know that? The word arm signifies still greater power. Ah, But the word shoulder signifies all power. For example, put your shoulder to the wheel. In other words, give it all you've got. Hand, arm, and shoulder. Greater as it gets closer to the heart. How significant that being found by our shepherd, Jesus, places us not only in a position of strength, and of great power, but in a position of all power on his shoulders. I think that's pretty neat. Matthew 28, 18 says, Jesus came up and said to them, All authority, all power of absolute rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So if our shepherd has all power and he puts us on his shoulders, which is the position of all power, (laughs) What kind of lie from the devil, what excuse could the enemy possibly supply us with that would cause us to think that we are supposed to be victims rather than victors? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things, not some, several, or a few, or halfway to a few and do some others pretty well, but it says, I can do all things which he has called me to do through him who strengthens and empowers me to fulfill his purpose. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Now that seems like a contradiction, but think about it. I am self-sufficient in Christ's 
sufficiency. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses me with inner strength and confident peace. It is good to be on the shoulders of the shepherd, ain't it? Incidentally, this first illustration of the shepherd carrying the sheep on his shoulders was actually the original figure used to identify Christians before people began identifying Christians with crosses. Hey, that's your bonus knowledge for the day. After the searching and the finding and the shoulder ride comes the homecoming. The shepherd takes the lost sheep home, which was kind of the purpose of finding the lost sheep in the first place. Now, home in the scripture refers to the inmates of a house, all the persons forming one family, a household, the family of God, for example, of the Christian church, of the church. Our shepherd has led us home. If you find yourself today a believer, born again, you're in the kingdom of God. Think about it. Jesus, our shepherd, has led us home. If you're in the kingdom of God, you're home this very moment. We talk about after death, we're going home, mansions over the hilltop, when we get over yonder. But hey, if you're born again, you're already in the kingdom of God. There's no afterlife. There's just more life. We think of heaven as being harps and clouds. But guys, we're not going to be spirit beings in heaven. We're going to be alive, resurrected with glorified bodies. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God they're the same thing. So if you're born again, you're in the kingdom of heaven. You're in the kingdom of God. You might not be in your glorified body yet, but you are home. Furthermore, on that other level, our shepherd is busy right now preparing for us a home on an entirely different level. In Revelation chapter 21, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away or vanished, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, arrayed like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will live among them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be death, there will no longer be sorrow and anguish or crying or pain for the former order of things, this world as we know it today, has passed away. Here's a key point for you. It's important to know that this home isn't for everyone, but it is for anyone. Do you need to think about that for a minute? Feel free to pause and then resume. It's important to know that this home isn't for everyone, but it is for anyone. Whosoever believeth. So after the searching and the finding and the shoulder ride and the homecoming comes what I call the party in the pasture. I didn't say party with your pastor. It's party in the pasture or the rejoicing with friends and neighbors, at which point you might want to get down with your bad self. I'm sorry. It had to be said. Okay, moving on. Here's what I'm talking about. Jesus tells us in this parable that the final step the final action that the shepherd takes is to rejoice. Sounds like a party to me. Luke 15, 7 says, I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. Uh, there were 90 and 9, but Jesus, my shepherd, 
He left the fold to find one little lost lamb. I can stand before you, sit before you, or just tell you digitally via podcast today, and and if you've been born again, you can proclaim it right along with me. That lamb that he found was me. There were 90 and 9, but I am 100. Now let's talk about what it means to be Christian for a moment. Christian. Basically, it means to be Christ-like, to be a disciple of Christ, one who follows after the teachings and instructions that Jesus gave us. Now, we all know that Jesus is our good shepherd. Jesus is the one who went and found us, right? So, if Jesus is one who goes and searches and finds, shouldn't we also be shepherds in our own right? Shouldn't we also follow that example and go and find? Well, that's a good theory, right? But what scripture do I have to back that up? Well, how about from Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18, this thing called the Great Commission. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So first of all, let's remember that he is with us as we go about, as we go out into the world, and we we call it evangelize. As we look for those lost sheep, and through the leading, the prompting, the prodding, the behooving of the Holy Spirit, we bring them into the fold. After all, we are to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. He's not here in physical form anymore, except through us. Are you a Christian? No, no, I don't mean, are you someone who goes to church, or are you someone who is born again? Let me blow your mind with this. Did you know that you can be born again or saved on your way to heaven without actually being a Christian? Well, it's all in the terminology. I know that doesn't sound right, but think about it. Christian means Christ-like. You can be born again, headed to heaven. If you got hit by a semi-truck right now, the very next breath you take would be in the presence of God. But are you actually being like Christ. Well, let me just be really belligerent and say, if you're not looking for and finding and bringing home and rejoicing over lost sheep, well, I'll let you answer that question within your heart. We need to get out of this mentality, church, that being a Christian and doing the will of God involves coming to church every Sunday and listening to a sermon, or if you're a pastor, preacher, going to church and preaching a sermon. Those are good things, and those are biblical. Those are things that we should do. At least in our Western Christian culture, we tend to not actually evangelize most of the time. We count on having a lost person or a sinner show up in our church and respond during a well-orchestrated altar call. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. In fact, people becoming born again, becoming found is good, whatever the situation is. But really, that's not what church is for. Now, some of you may want to string me up after I say this, but there's a popular saying, not in the Bible, mind you, but in our Christianese, in our Christian 
talk, I hear people say this a lot, or at least express a sentiment that's very similar to this. It goes like this. Church shouldn't be a museum for the saints. It should be a hospital for the lost. Now that sounds very sweet. It sounds very noble. It sounds right. It stirs just the right emotion in us, but that's not actually biblical. Jesus didn't say, therefore, go and make disciples of all the churches and all the people who attend church, all the visitors. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Hey, evangelism in the church, it happens. And for several decades, it's worked fairly well, but it's becoming less and less as even the the Christians become less interested in going to actual church. It's not sustainable. Let's keep in mind that the church that Jesus established had very little to do with an actual building or a place of worship. The church is the body of what? Believers. If you are a believer, you are in the church. I'm not talking about a denomination or a religion. I'm talking about the church of God, the church that Jesus ordained and the church that was established in Acts chapter 2. When the believers were in the upper room praying and waiting for the promise of the Father and perhaps not knowingly waiting for the church to really take off and come to fruition, again, they were all in one mind and one accord. That pretty much rules out any non-believers, any, as we call them, sinners being amongst them. This was not an evangelical event. But once the Holy Spirit came, the people outside the upper room, the people in the marketplace, out in the streets, people in other places around them began to notice. They thought that they were drunk. They thought because of the wild behavior that even though it was early in the morning, they must have been into the sweet wine. But Peter got on his soapbox and he began to preach. He said, they're not drunk as you suppose. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what the prophet Joel predicted. And this is what's happening this very day in your midst. So at that point, again, outside of the upper room was where the evangelism was happening. And 3,000 people were added to the church. That's 3,000 added to the 120 plus plus people that had just been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I urge you, I urge all of us, let's get out of our minds that winning the lost involves inviting a friend to come to church with us. By all means, invite your friends to come to church, but don't only do that. Maybe you think, I can't tell anyone about Jesus. I'm not good with my words. I could never lead anyone to Christ. And, and maybe that's accurate to a degree. Maybe you're not good with speaking with people. Maybe you're not good at being in front of people. Maybe you're not good with, with sales or convincing someone to accept a, an entirely new lifestyle, as wonderful as it is. But again, be Christ-like. What was Jesus? He was a friend to publicans and sinners and even a tax collector. I mean, if you can be friends with a tax collector, you can pretty much be friends with anybody, right? I really hope I don't get audited this year. So let me pose this question. Do you know any sinners? Please don't send me a list of names. I'm just saying, do you know anyone? Is there anyone in your life outside of your church who is not born again? Then do what Jesus did. Be a friend to them. Now keep in mind, Jesus didn't join them in their sin. Jesus was in the world, but he did not become of the world. He didn't join in the debauchery, but he did have dinner with them. So what can you do? You can be 
a friend. We have to be careful not to have the attitude of, hey man, I see that you're injured there, lying on the ground dying, and I would stop and help you, but I've got a calling on my life and I have to make it to church. I'm supposed to preach today. Why? Because that's wrong. You can be a good Samaritan. One of the best campaigns that has ever existed in modern age is what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do indeed? Hey, sinners, publicans, tax collectors, I want to invite you to my church. We've got this new guy speaking this week. Hey, and if we're really lucky, maybe you'll respond and it'll change your life. Well, that might work or it might not work. But you know what's going to get their attention? When you show them that you love them. When you're an actual friend. When you are actually Christ-like to them. Day in and day out. Church is a place for the saints. We frown on that term saints, but... We can say church is a place for the found, for the believers. Church is technically and actually not a place for the lost. That would be awfully convenient for us, right? But what are we to do? We are to go out, leave the 99 friends at the potluck Wednesday night, leave the 99 singing in the choir, leave the 99 teaching Sunday school and working in the nursery and doing all the things that the church does, and go after little number 100 over there, who's just about to fall off a cliff. And when he is found, oh, when he's found, then we can hoist him up on our shoulders, which again, Jesus in us is like hoisting him up on the shoulders of Jesus, putting him in the seat of ultimate power. And we can bring him into the fold as the Holy Spirit anoints and empowers us to do so. And we can rejoice like the angels in heaven that a lost lamb has come home. Well, friends, if nothing else, I hope that this message today will give you something to seriously think about. It wasn't intended to bring you down or to negatively criticize you or us. The underlying point is go into all the world and make disciples. Go into the highways and the hedges and find the lost sheep. We weren't commissioned to stay. In fact, let me see if I can find someone right now. If you are listening to this podcast and you have not yet made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you would like to do so, just say, Dear God, I confess that I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins and I turn away from them. From this point forward, I will serve you. I make you the Lord of my life. In the name of Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me just now, and if you meant it from your heart, I believe you became born again. Hey, what's it like to be up on the shoulders, man? Now we are so happy we do the dance of joy. I have found my sheep. Hey, all joking aside, welcome home. Get involved. If you need a recommendation for a church, send me an email. I will do my best, whatever area you're in, to put you in contact with a church family that will rejoice with you because of this new journey that you're on. And hey, if you play your cards right, they might even shear you. Get it? Because you're a sheep. (laughs) All right, all right. Thanks again for listening today. Until next time, keep being hostile towards darkness and aggressive in love one for another and for God. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.